Open to Mark chapter 3 this morning. Mark chapter 3. And we'll be in verse 20. And we will read through verse 30, but we will not, unless something crazy happens, make it through verse 30. When I first started this week, uh, we, I intended to go through verse 30, but then I said, well, that's too much. We'll, we'll cut off at, at about verse 20, 26 or 27. And then I said, well, dang, that's still too much through. So by the time it was all said and done, I ended up concluding that we would only get two verses done today. Uh, so as most of you probably know, one of my strengths is not being quick about preaching through the Word of God. I just cannot do it. I feel, I say, all right, I'm going to cover a big lump today and skip over some stuff. But then I think, well, that's good and that's good and there's some good stuff we can draw out of this. And so I end up finding a lot of good stuff in God's Word. But I feel that that's what we need. I feel that we need to grow as Christians, as brothers and sisters in Christ, that we want to be deep in the Word. Now, many of us in this room probably know God's Word and we probably know a lot of God's Word. Uh, we probably, at the very least, know a little about God's Word. Now, there may be certain things that we know a lot more about, or in some instances, sometimes our, our knowledge of God's Word is just kind of surface level. Uh, we know what the preacher tells us or what our Sunday school teacher tells us, and we may read a daily devotion, but I would encourage you as Christians to dig into the Word and be deep in the Word. And that's what God has placed on my heart over the last couple of years, as you guys can tell. That's why we are going through these books that we're going through in great detail, because I want us to be deep in God's Word. I don't want us to skip over anything. I don't want us to skip the hard stuff. I don't want us to focus on the positives. I don't want us to overlook the tough stuff. I want us to take all of God's Word as it is. I want us to be deep in God's Word to know uh, what it means as best as we can understand it to allow the Holy Spirit to speak to us. I don't believe that the Holy Spirit can speak to us about the Word if we're not in the Word. If we get in the Word, though, it allows the Holy Spirit to let our mind think, to open our heart up so that we can begin to hear and see uh, what God's Word is saying and how He may want to apply it to our life. It may surprise you if you don't read God's Word much. If you begin to read God's Word more and really seek what God is saying, you may be surprised at the things that God wants to point out to you. Uh, but be, be aware, there may be things that God points out to you that you may not want to hear, because sometimes they are tough things. But praise the Lord that God's Word is here for us, to encourage us and to correct us. And so, uh, with that being said, we're just going to look at a smidgen of it today, uh, just a couple of verses. Uh, we'll read... 20 through 30, just to give you guys an idea, because this passage is kind of one, one event that takes place, and we're going to break this down over the next few weeks, Lord willing, and kind of look at the whole thing, uh, but we're just going to take it in some bite-sized chunks. This is the, the fun-sized version of Mark chapter 30, verses 20, or excuse me, Mark chapter 3, verses 20 uh, through 30, just a little bite-sized chunk. So, Mark chapter 3, verse 20. Then he went home, and the crowd gathered again, so that they were not even able to eat. When his family heard this, they set out to restrain him, because they said, He's out of his mind. The scribes who had come down from Jerusalem said, He has Beelzebul in him, and he drives out demons by the ruler of the demons. So he summoned them and spoke to them in parables. How can Satan drive out Satan? If a kingdom is divided against itself, that kingdom cannot stand. 
If a house is divided against itself, that house cannot stand. And if Satan rebels against himself and is divided, he cannot stand, but is finished. On the other hand, no one can enter a strong man's house and rob his possessions unless he first ties up the strong man. Then he will rob his house. I assure you, people will be forgiven all sins and whatever blasphemies they may blaspheme. But whoever blasphemes against the Holy Spirit never has forgiveness, but is guilty of an eternal sin. Because they were saying, He has an unclean spirit. Let's pray. Father God, we come to you this morning, and I pray, God, that you pour your spirit out on the hearts of these people. God, I pray that something that's said in this, in this room today, something from your word, God, something that you, that, that you bring upon us, God, will open up our hearts and open up our minds. And I pray that we give you our distractions and we give you our worries and we give you our loves that we have for the world, dear Lord, and we give those things to you so that you can transform our heart into the desires that you wish to us to have, dear Lord, the desires that are going to be for your kingdom and for your glory and not for our comfort and not for our benefit. So God, I pray that you hide me behind the cross, that you show me areas in my own heart, God, that you help me to be a man uh, that you want me to be and you help these men and women to be the men and women you want them to be, God. Help us to make the tough choices and to do what you call us to do even when it's hard in our life. And I ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Just a little recap, a couple of weeks ago, uh, we had been talking about the disciples. That's what we had kind of been talking about. But up until this point, we had seen Jesus doing a lot of work. He had traveled to a lot of places already. He had done a lot of work already. And the crowds were coming to him all the time, everywhere he went, as they heard about him driving out demons, and they heard about him healing the sick. Now, a couple of times already, at least once, uh, we see uh, it referred to in Mark that Jesus went home. Another time we see it referred to uh, that Jesus went to the house of Peter. Now, here we are introduced with the same idea in verse 20. After we are introduced to the apostles and the verses before, he says in verse 20, then he went home. Now, the he there is Jesus, and the crowd gathered again. Uh, so where home is, we're not exactly sure of. Now, it could be that when it says he went home, that it's meaning he went back to his hometown, to where he called home. Now, some of you may, uh, may not be from here, and sometimes you may go home. Uh, and sometimes when you're going home, you may not be going to the home you were raised in. You may just be going to the city uh, where you were raised at. I used to say that, for example, when I was in California. I would say, I'm going home. Now, I didn't necessarily always mean the home I grew up in, but I mean I'm going back to Liberty, where I was from, where I was raised. That could be what it means by home here. It could be that Jesus had a home. Uh, although that doesn't seem very likely, it's very possible. We can't uh, say for sure, I don't guess, that he didn't. Maybe Jesus had a home of his own, or maybe it was Peter's home. Uh, maybe it was just a place that they called home, that he called home. But it was a place that Luke, or excuse me, that Mark here uh, recognized as home, and he referred to as home, and that's where Jesus went. It was a place that Jesus called home wherever that place was. And it was a place that there were people that no doubt knew about was Jesus' home. They knew it was a place that Jesus would probably return to. Uh, there were probably some that were hot on his heels, always keeping track of where he was. And so when Jesus returned home here, the crowds gathered as they had previously in the last few chapters as we have read through and we have seen. And the crowds gathered and there were so many people there that they were not even able to eat. 
And so that was a big crowd. You, you may can, can relate to that. There may have been times uh, in your life where, uh, where things were really busy, where it was just so many people there that you had to talk to, that you had to entertain, things that you had to do that you could not stop for a second and eat for yourself. You maybe even sacrificed sleep. You, you, you were tired, but you had to keep going. You had to keep being there to, to entertain these people, to, to take care of these people, to talk with these people, to shake their hand. And all of that uh, goes on in the middle of the hecticness. Maybe you, you miss getting to eat a meal. And that's exactly what was taking place here. All these people had gathered around Jesus because they had heard about what he was doing, that is, the healings and the, and the demons that he was casting out. And as we've mentioned before, he did those things, but that wasn't his mission. His mission was to tell people that the kingdom of God has come near. And that's exactly how he started his ministry, and that's exactly what he had been doing in the midst of all of these miracles and, and, and demons that he had driven out. He was continuing to preach the message. The kingdom of God has come. I'm the one who's bringing this message to you. John the Baptist had already testified that Jesus was the one that was coming, the one that the, that the, that the scriptures talked about. And now Jesus, who had grown up for about 30 years as a normal guy, so to speak, the scripture doesn't tell us much about uh, Jesus other than when he was 12 years old and was left in the temple, but I, I think it's reasonable to assume that Jesus probably lived a pretty normal life. He was a, a carpenter. He probably worked. He probably had a normal life until the time came that he was sent on mission by the Father. When the time came that God was to use him, his mission changed from just living a normal life to carrying out what God had sent him to do uh, in the first place. Now, Jesus was doing that, and the people were gathered around him, and all of these things were taking place. Now, going back to the town that he called home, or the place that he called home, there would have no doubt been people there who would have known Jesus and probably have known him well. If you have been raised in a place, and many of you have, been in Liberty, Mississippi many of the years of your life, you begin to know people. You know everybody that's around. It's a small place. Very seldom do we see people we don't know. We at least know of them, and the people that we love, that are our friends, that are our family, we know them well. We know how they act, whether good or bad. Uh, we, know, we know the places they like to go. We know the people they hang out with. We know their hobbies. We get to know people and what they are like, and we kind of when we see them go outside of what they are used to doing, go outside of the things that are common for them, we may begin to get worried, as many of you probably have. Maybe you've had a child who all of a sudden began to do things that you thought were kind of crazy, and you begin to worry about them, or a friend who began to do things uh, that, that were kind of crazy, or at least in your eyes they were crazy, and you begin to worry about uh, how they were living, or the things they were doing, or the choices they were making, or the things that they were saying. And here Jesus is going back to his hometown, and he is going to be met with the same type of thing here. It says in verse 21, when his family heard this, now uh, some translations may say friends there, some may say different things. Uh, the actual Greek phrase there uh, means those belonging to him, those who were his. That might be a more literal way to put it, and some of your translations may reflect that. Now mine says family, some say friends, but those belonging to him. Now it could have been, and probably was, some of both. It was probably some of Jesus' friends and his family there. If Jesus had friends and family, which he did, uh, they no doubt would have loved him and would have wanted to see him, no different than you and I when we may be away for a while and come back. 
People come up to us. They're glad to see us. They maybe come over and have a meal with us or take us out to eat. And we get to spend time with them. And here, Jesus is back home. And when his family, our friends, or both, those belonging to him, heard this, they set out to restrain him because they said, He's out of his mind. Now, this is in contrast for the verses that are going to come that we'll be looking at in the next week or two. Now, his family, I believe, probably had Jesus' best interest in mind. Now, maybe they thought he was insane and they wanted just to do away with him as the Pharisees did. Uh, but, but I like to think here that they probably were just concerned about him. If we saw someone doing things that we considered to be crazy and it was out of character or things that we thought were going to harm them, then we too may be wanting to go and restrain them to say, look, are you okay? This is not normal. Now, in the eyes of Jesus' friends and family and those around him, the things that they saw him doing, they considered to be unnormal. Now, maybe they were worried about him simply because he just did not have anything to eat. That could simply be all that's taking place here. Or it could be a bigger picture. That is, they had seen everything that Jesus had done and said and was doing, knowing that he was putting in long hours, knowing that he was traveling from place to place, knowing the crowds were seeking to get him, knowing that every time he opened his mouth, someone wanted to have him killed. Perhaps it was that his friends and family said, Look, what are you doing? you got to stop doing this. you got to stop going out there. Are you crazy? Saying all this stuff and all that about the kingdom of God has come? Jesus, look at who you are. You're just a carpenter here. You're a normal guy. Why are you all of a sudden saying these types of things? Now, his family obviously probably didn't realize exactly who he was at this point. Now, we kind of see that through the scriptures, that, that even those close to Jesus, even all the things that they see him do, uh, they never really quite grasp and understand what's going on. Now, as time goes on and the Holy Spirit begins to work, and especially upon his resurrection, uh, the, the, their eyes are open, so to speak, and they finally see the light and they finally get all these things Jesus was saying. But in his ministry, there were things that Jesus said and did that even his apostles who were with him were kind of scratching their heads wondering, what's going on here? And here as he goes home, we see those who belong to him, those who are probably his friends and family, and they see Jesus. The crowds are around him. He can't even stop to eat. There are so many people there. And his family tries to restrain him. Jesus, you've got to pull back from these people. You've got to pull back from what you're doing and what you're saying. This is, this is crazy. He's out of his mind, they said. He's crazy. How could anybody want this lifestyle for themselves? where they get little rest, where people are always pulling on them, always tugging on them, always needing them, don't even have time to eat. Why would you do that? Why would you say these things that you are saying? So even those who were close to Jesus thought he was crazy in the way that he was living his life. And oftentimes that may be the very case in our lives and the things that we do as Christians. Now as Christians, I believe too oftentimes we are too comfortable now, I'm preaching to myself today, too. I'm not just preaching to you. I'm preaching to myself. We as Christians oftentimes, I believe, are too comfortable. And part of that, and the main reason for that, is that we are born and raised in the United States of America. So we don't know what it's like to not have things. We don't know what it's like to, to be poor. Now, I understand and realize there are poor people in this neighborhood. But even in America, many of the poor people here don't even compare to what it's like in some areas of the world. 
Now, as a result of us living here, we are rich. Now, comparatively, by American standards, most of us, maybe all of us in this room would say, well, I don't know who you're talking to. I'm not rich. Well, compared to Donald Trump, we are not rich. But compared to the starving child in Africa, we are billionaires. And so we can gauge our richness. We can decide which standard we want to measure by. The American standard or the world standard. Now, our problem, I believe, as Christians is our riches. We are comfortable. We, we are kind of in a bubble. We, we don't really see or know exactly what goes on in the world or how it takes place. We get comfortable. We're very comfortable here this morning. Some of you are saying, I'm not comfortable. I'm freezing to death. But for the most part, we're pretty comfortable. Even though these pews are wooden back and they do hurt our backs after a while, we are comfortable. We probably all had food this morning, and if we didn't, it's probably not because you didn't have any. It's just because you chose not to eat it. We are very comfortable in our lifestyles and what we have and the things that we do. And we have so much wealth that us giving a small percentage for the glory of God or to help someone out really doesn't affect us at all. It makes us feel better. And a lot of times we are hopefully glad to do it and we give from the heart. But are we really giving and doing all that God would call us to give and to do? Now, so many times we say, well, God didn't call me to do this or God didn't call me to do that, but he's placed other people to do that. He's given other people those gifts. Now, sometimes that may very well be true. Other times it may just be an excuse because we don't want to leave our comfort zone. We don't want to really want to speak out for the Lord and live for the Lord in the way that we should because quite honestly, if we really live for the Lord the way that we should, you know what most people would think about us? They would say that we were crazy and we can expect no less because that's what they said of Jesus himself. Now, I know people like that. I remember when I was younger, there were people that I knew and they were very spiritually mature, at least in my opinion, or, and still are in my opinion. And they would do things and they would give up things and they would do things that I thought were, were crazy. And I would think, well, those weird Christians. Like, I'm a Christian, I love the Lord, and I want to serve Him, but I'm not going that far. And I used to think that they were crazy. <clears throat> but the more I read God's Word, and the more I see how Jesus lived, and the more I see how Jesus calls us to live, the more I begin to realize, maybe God's calling me to be that crazy person. Those things that I used to think were crazy, I'm beginning to think are the very will of God. Things that I used to not desire are things that I'm now beginning to desire in my heart. Things that I never would have thought I would have desired. Things that used to make me happy now mean absolutely nothing to me. Some of you may get that. Some of you may have gotten that already. You may, you may say, well, I got there a long time ago. Some of you may still be getting there. There may be still things in your life as there are in mine that I love more than I want to love and hope God helps me not to love those things so much. Because, quite frankly, it's very difficult to live in the way that God wants us to live. And the reason is because we have a heart problem. Our heart is torn. It's drawn toward the desires of the world. 
Our heart is drawn toward security, toward comfort, toward having a future that is established and sustained and we know that we're going to be taken care of, that everything's going to be fine, that we're going to have lots of food to eat, that we're going to have plenty of air in the summer and plenty of heat in the winter and plenty of money in our account in case we want to buy that new thing we really want or in case we want to make that spontaneous trip or in case something happens and we get hurt and we need to trust in our monies and our things because lo and uh, heaven forbid if something were to happen to us as we get in old age, we need that security to be taken care of. But what we're really saying is, God, I'm not quite trusting you with everything I've got. My heart's not quite on you, dear Lord. I don't desire what you want. God, I really desire what I want. And God, I'm not really ready to give up my desires because they will cause me discomfort. And if we're honest, there may be some in this room, maybe many of us, maybe many Christians around the world, and maybe unknowingly, that have that very heart, that have put way too much, too much trust in the things of the world, that desire the things of this world far more than we desire the Lord. Now this is heavy stuff, right? This is heavy stuff. And, and you say, well, 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 surely God doesn't call me to do this or to do that or to give up this or to give up that. God wants me to have this and God wants me to have that and God wants me to go here and God wants me to go there and God wants me to live here and God wants me to drive this kind of vehicle and God wants me to have this much money stowed away. Does He? Does He? Maybe He does or maybe He doesn't. Maybe we justify the things that we have in our life. And we say, but I'm doing pretty good. I come to church. I give 15% of what I have. But could you give more? Could you do more? Is your heart really fully on the Lord? Or is your heart torn between the world and the Lord? Are your desires on what God desires... Are your desires on what you desire? Are your desires upon your will and your comfort? Or are our desires upon God's will and God's comfort and trust in the Lord? Now Jesus said when the rich man came to him and, and, and Jesus said, look, sell all your stuff and come and follow me. When people came to follow Jesus, Jesus said, leave your family behind and come follow me. Well, I've got to go back and tell them no. And Jesus said, don't go back and tell them no. Come on. Now, we see those type of things in Scripture and we say, boy, that's crazy. Jesus didn't really mean that. He couldn't have really meant that. What if He did really mean that? What if that is really what He calls us to? What if that is what He's calling you to? You see, as we draw closer to the Lord, there's something that begins to happen in our life. Our heart begins to change. And sometimes we may say, well, 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 I could never do this or that that I see other Christians doing. I, don't, I just don't have that ability. God didn't call me to that. Maybe God did call you to that. Maybe what other people are doing as preachers or as missionaries or as servants in whatever way, maybe the reason why God is using them is because their heart is open to being used. And maybe the reason He's not using us more than He's not using us it's not because He has not called us, but because we are not giving Him our heart. Because we are wanting to hold on to it. Because we say, well, I don't have that desire in my heart. Well, maybe it's because we don't have the heart of the Lord in the way that we should. 
Because as we begin to draw, uh, draw closer to the Lord and grow in Him and read His Word, guess what begins to happen? Our hearts begin to change. And we begin to desire things that we never desired before. We begin to hate things that we used to love. We begin to love things that we used to hate. We begin to, to care more about the things that God cares about than the things that we care about. We begin to do things that we can't imagine why people have been doing them, why people would do them. All of a sudden, we find ourselves doing those things. All of a sudden, we find ourselves giving up our comfort for the need of others. All of a sudden, we are doing those things that the world looks at and says, he or she is crazy. They're those crazy Christians. They're the ones who are doing this crazy stuff, this weird stuff. Well, you know what I want? I want for this to be a church of crazy Christians. That's what I want. I want God's Spirit to move among us, that He changes my heart in a way that my desire is not on me and on my desires, but on Him and on His will. My desire is that God would change my heart, that those things that I say, God, I can never do that. God, I don't want to do that. God, I don't care about that. That God would change my heart in a way that I would care about those things more than the things that I think I need to care about. And my desire is not that for me. My desire is that for you. And some of you are saying, you're crazy. I don't want that. Well, maybe I am crazy. But as Steve Jobs once says, those who are crazy enough to think they can change the world are the ones that actually do. You see, as Christians, oftentimes we see what goes on in the world and we say, somebody needs to do something. Somebody needs to do something. But God has already called somebody to do something. This building is full of people who God has called to do something. But the problem is, is we're waiting on someone else to do it. We're waiting on other believers to step up. We're waiting on those others that God has called and given the ability to serve to go and do those things. When all the while, it may be you that God has called, that God wants to give the ability. It may be your heart that God wants to set up camp in and change it and use you. And the reason why things may not be getting done may be because you're not opening your heart to the Lord. We say, stuff needs to be done. God, why don't you send somebody to do it? Well, maybe God's saying, I'm sending you to do it. Maybe He's saying, I'm sending Enterprise Baptist Church to do it. But be warned. Be warned of this. If we really seek the Lord, and we really desire to do His will, and we really desire to live for Him, you better be ready. Because He is going to change your world. He's going to change your world. I can just about guarantee your world is going to be changed. I can just about guarantee that when people see the Lord working in your life, they're going to say the same thing they said of Jesus. You are out of your mind. But you know what? You'll feel as good as you've ever felt. You know why? Because it always feels better to be in the will of God and to be doing what He desires than to have all of your worldly heart's desires. It always feels better to be in the will of the Lord. And we have to choose, are we going to follow the Lord or not? Now we have to look at our lives and we have to say, God, maybe some of you are saying this even right now, God, I want to give you my heart. God, I want to do what you want. God, I want to love like you love. I want to be in your will, God. 
The question we need to ask if you are desiring that today, maybe you want that. Maybe you've wanted that to years, for years. And you're asking yourself, well, am I there yet? Am I there yet? You see, that's what I want. But boy, those temptations and those desires and those things of the world, they're tugging at me. But what God's working on me, and maybe He's working on some of y'all too. Those things are there, and I see that I need to pull away from the world so that I can draw into the Lord. And so when I look at my own life, and I say, God, this is where I want to be. And I say, but am I there yet? I'm not there yet, but I want to be there. And when I look at this church, I say, God, are we there yet? Are we there yet? Are we the crazy ones? Are we the ones that are just crazy enough that we want to care more about other people than we want to care about our own self, our own comfort, our own things? Are we there yet? And if the answer is no in your life, or you believe the answer is no in this church, then we want to pray that God would get us there. Just this week, I I started listening to a book. It's an excellent book. The name of the book is Kisses from Katie. It covers uh, the life of Katie Davis. Some of you may have heard that name, but to, to most, if not all, that name means nothing to you. Katie Davis was a girl that grew up in Brentwood, just outside of Nashville, Tennessee. If you're not aware of the Brentwood area, it's a very wealthy area. The people that live there have quite a bit of money. And she was raised in that area, a girl that was uh, raised in a in household that, that came from a loving family, that came from a wealthy family, that had all the comforts that she could ever want, that had the opportunity and the ability to go to college anywhere she ever want, to make a name for herself, to make a, a life for herself uh, that, would, that, would, that would more than likely uh, would, would, would never leave her with any worries. She would be covered uh, with wealth, she would be covered with education, and she would be secure and she would be comfortable for the rest of her life. But as a teenager, she began to realize that God had placed on her heart a desire to go and help in an orphanage. And she began to research and look at different orphanages all over the world. Anywhere she could find on a website, she would look here and look there and find and, and research. And she decided that she wanted to spend a summer and go and serve in a, at an orphanage. Now this is a rich girl from Brentwood, Tennessee. And so she goes and tells her parents, I want to go serve in an orphanage in another country. And her parents said, you are crazy. They were not willing to, to listen too much, although they did listen to what she had to say. They weren't, uh, they weren't really willing at first to accept what, what, what she was telling them. And so she kept begging and she kept saying that that's what she wanted to do until eventually her parents gave in and agreed to let her go. And when she went, that changed her life. She ended up going to Uganda, Africa. Now, Uganda, Africa is a very poor place. There's not much there. There's a lot of disease there. There is not much food there. There is not much clean water there. It is hot there. It is quite frankly miserable there. But as she went there, she began to go to this orphanage and she began to see these children who were starving to death, these children who were dirty, who were covered with with bugs and all kind of disease. And in an instant, God began to change her heart. After coming back home and telling her parents about her experience, she 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 was sure that that's what God was calling her to do in her life. Of course, her friends and her family thought she was crazy. If she went there, why would she go there? There's no electricity. 
You could catch all kind of diseases. HIV AIDS runs rampant in that part of the world. She would have nowhere good to stay. It was dangerous there. She wouldn't have much food to eat. Her friends and family said, you're crazy. Why would you do that? Why would you give up living the rich girl life to go and live in Uganda, Africa? And she did it because she loved the Lord and she loved on those people. I want to read you a little bit from her uh, book this morning. I just want to read you a little bit about what her situation was like. She wrote this in October of 2007. <coughs> the classroom where I teach is between the animal feeding grounds and the pit latrines. So my classroom is constantly filled with the smell of waste, animal and human. The weather is stifling here. The moment I step out of my icy shower, I begin to sweat. I sleep under a mosquito net to avoid getting bitten by mosquitoes infected with malaria and other diseases. But I still can't avoid ants and crickets in my bed. In my bathroom lives a rat the size of a, of a house cat, and there are a few bats in the shower. This morning I almost grilled a lizard in my toaster. Fred, my motorcycle taxi man, is almost always late, sometimes runs into cows, runs out of gas, or forgets to warn me of impending potholes. When it rains, the awful roads turn into muddy swamps, making it nearly impossible to go anywhere. For lunch and dinner, we eat pasho, which is corn flour boiled in water until it is thick and pasty. It tastes a little worse than Elmer's glue. Sometimes the children are so dirty they actually reek it is impossible to touch them without becoming filthy. With the wind blowing, red dust everywhere, it is impossible not to be filthy anyway. A rooster crows around five to wake me up each morning. That is, if I haven't already been up all night with a sick baby or getting sick myself. And to you, these sound like complaints. And they are not. This is me rejoicing in the Lord. Because you see... I love my tiny classroom. I love that hot sun on my face. I love my bed, cozy under my net after a long day. I love my home, sweet home, all its creatures included. I love Fred, my taxi, taxi man. I love my long walks home, day or night, rain or shine. I love the beating, cleansing Uganda rain. I love my Uganda meals, prepared with such love and generosity. I love to be hugged and touched and jumped on and cuddled by these precious children. I love the cool, dusty breeze in my hair. I love every African sunrise, the cool and calm of a new morning. I love each and every day, each and every moment that I spend in this beautiful country. I rejoice with each breath I take. Now that's pretty intense. That doesn't sound like the life that any of us would want to live, right? Disease, bugs, all of the, 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 the hardships that come along with living there. <coughs> but yet the difference is her heart has been changed. A few years before, had she been asked this question, would she want to go there? She would have said, absolutely not. But now God has changed her heart. And the things that she used to have thought were crazy, now she realizes are the most important thing. And the difference is she is filled with love. 
And love will make us do crazy things. At least things that look crazy in the eyes of the world. Now quite frankly, there are some Christians who will hear that story and they will say, I don't want my heart to change that way because I don't want to live that lifestyle. I never want to do that. God didn't call me to do that. Well, maybe he did or maybe he didn't. Maybe he did and you're not allowing him. But it takes a great love to do those types of things. It takes a great love to suffer. It takes a great love to sacrifice. It takes a great love to give up our comfort. It takes a great love to, to, to give up our needs to care for the needs of others. And that's exactly what Jesus did for us. That's exactly why he was here. That's exactly why he was going around to these people. That's exactly why the people who were there with him that were closest to him said he's crazy. Because they didn't understand him. They didn't understand his heart. They didn't understand the love that he had. But it was love that Jesus had that drove him to do everything that he, that he did. It was love that Jesus had that caused him to be patient with the crowds that came. It was love that Jesus had that caused him to say, I'm going to do without a meal to be able to preach and teach and take care of these people who are here. It was love that Jesus had when he selected his apostles and even chose the very one who would betray him. Some people would say, Jesus was crazy. Why did he do that? He did it. Because he loved Judas, even though he knew Judas would betray him. It was love when Jesus hung on a cross, when he was beaten, when he was mocked. Some of us would say, it's crazy. Why would anybody do that? He did that because he loved you and I. He did it because he loved you. And that's the same love that Jesus Christ desires for us to have for others. He desires us for us to give of ourselves, to give of what we have, to give of our comfort, to give of our, of our, of our uh, securities, of all the things that we have. Jesus says, I want you to live for me. I want you to give those things to those in need, and I want you to trust me to know that I will take care of you. Jesus never promised us as Christians that it was going to be an easy life. I don't know why sometimes as Christians we think that. I don't know why sometimes we get the idea that sometimes that, uh, oh, if we, if we do more for the Lord, He'll give me everything my heart desires. I hear a lot of, uh, a lot of preachers in the past have preached that, oh, if you give this much money, God will give you your heart's desires. And I want to tell you this morning that if you are seeking the Lord, He will give you your heart's desires. But I also want to tell you this morning that it's probably not going to be a bank account full of money. Because when we are seeking the Lord, guess what changes? Our heart's desires changes. Now, Katie Davis will tell you that God has given her every heart's desire. And you could say, how? How in the world? It's because her desires have changed. And it may be that God wants to change your desires. Jim Elliott said this. He said, he is no fool who gives up what he cannot gain. Excuse me. He is no fool who gives up what he cannot keep to gain that which he cannot lose. And the man who wrote these words had given his life trying to save a tribe in a, in a, in a remote village, whom upon arriving there they killed him. But the village was eventually reached by other missionaries who came, and he knew that even if he gave his life, it was worth it. He couldn't keep anything in this world. What was it to be comfortable here? What was it to have a bank account full of money? What good does it do to be the richest man in the cemetery if you haven't done anything to change the life of someone in this world and lead them to Jesus Christ? I can tell you, it does you no good. And Jim Elliott realized that. And he lived that out. It wasn't long after he wrote these words that he lost his life by serving the Lord. 
Now, the Lord may be calling you to do something difficult. The Lord may want you to do something that's not so difficult, but the Lord wants to use your heart. He wants you to give Him your heart. And the question that you have to answer today is, God, am I going to give you my heart? Are we going to give the Lord our heart? Are we going to give Him full control? And if we do, are we ready for what He wants to do in our life? Because I want to tell you what, it may just be crazy, and it may be crazy what He calls this church to do. But after all, what Jesus did on the cross was crazy. But He did it because He loved us, and praise the Lord, He did. But because of our crazy Jesus who suffered for us, we have salvation, we have redemption, we have forgiveness, and we have grace. And when we look at it in that way, it wasn't so crazy after all but it was a love that God desires for us to have. Let's pray. Father God, we come to you this morning and we thank you for these words. And I pray, God, that you would help us to, to open our hearts to you, to open our minds to you, to let you work in our lives, dear Lord, and to be ready for the consequences. God, we, we like to think that everything's always going to be smooth and good and easy when we do your work. But God, quite frankly, so many of those we see in, 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 in this world and in your word that you use the most, are those who suffered the most, are those who had to give up the most, are those who had to struggle, dear Lord, and are those who many times gave their life to see your will be done. And God, that's what you call us to. That's what love is. God, we see that in Jesus. God, that you called him, that you sent him to, to, to live for us, to die for us. And God, we see he did that. And God, I pray that if we are faithful to be your servants, that we would live in the same way. God, that we would live for you and that we would die for you. That we would break free from all the desires of the flesh and of the world. And that, God, we would open our heart to you. That we would say, God, I trust you, whether good or bad. God, I trust you to come into my heart and I trust you to change it. And I hope that you change it, dear Lord, so that your will be done. So that I live in a way that would make you happy, dear Lord. So that I live in a way not for my flesh, but for your glory. God, I pray that we would open our hearts today to do that. And God, I pray that we'd be ready. God, I pray that you help us to be crazy for you. God, I pray that you help us to be a crazy person, to be a crazy church for you. That the things we do are done out of love, even if the world thinks we're insane, God, that we're doing your will and we're doing it for the glory of Jesus Christ. And I ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen.